Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 6000 That's one 800 245 6000 Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He's best-selling author of The Dying Citizen, farmer, classicist, military historian. You can find just about everything Victor writes and everything he does, links to his video appearances and other podcasts at victorhanson.com. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Today, we are recording on Palm Sunday, April 10th. The show will be aired on the World Wide Webs on Holy Thursday to some of us. Today, France is voting for president. And I think it's the first round of voting. But, you know, we've never really talked all that much in detail about Emmanuel Macron or Marie Le Pen, who seem to be locked in a neck and neck race over there in France. So when we come back from these important messages, we'll get Victor's opinion on them and the election and the consequences of it. So here we go. These are some important messages. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, 
so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American citizenship and its decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, by the time this is broadcast, the election results will be known. But as of today, polling and political reporting has put this race neck and neck. Marie Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron. I think there's someone else in, in the race. And again, I think this is the first round. There always seems to be a second round. I don't know, maybe somebody gets the full majority in the first round. There is no second round. But I think this is an excellent opportunity to discuss a few things. Your thoughts about the rise of the right, we'll call it the right. Maybe it's the rise of the anti-left, maybe that's more accurate, in France. The performance of Emmanuel Macron as president over these last few years, and maybe even if you have an opinion of France's role in the you know, dynamics of geopolitics in 2022, is it significant? And if it is, who should we be rooting for? You don't have to answer that. Don't talk about whatever you want, Victor. <laughs> well, uh, Macron is uh, a technocrat in the European mold. I mean, they all come out of approved technocratic or diplomatic schools in France, and they're on a trajectory from if they have the right family name or they have the right contacts or their parents were in government, much more so than the United States. And they, they go to the approved cursus and norm, and then they emerge. That's how all of them do, with the exception of de Gaulle. And so he's pretty much a predictable center-left Frenchman. Well, being French, everything's about France. And, you know, I once went into Versailles and I walked through the Hall of Mirrors and you go look at all the great military victories of France and they kind of stop. 
at Austerlitz, basically. And it's kind of sad because it's a wonderful company that seems to be obsessed on a power commiserate with their argument that their culture is superior, their language is superior, their architecture, their literature, their history, their food. And therefore, they that in itself, rather than Abrams tanks, F-35s or, you know, the American fighting man just gives them global preeminence and it doesn't happen that way. So then you're always dealing with sort of a some part of an inferiority complex. That said, when you start looking at French conservatives like Raymond Aron or any of these people, they tend, or even Camus, they tend, was not a conservative, but when they're reasonable, they tend to be more reasonable than we are. So they produce some of the greatest intellectuals in the country, in the world, I should say, that are center-right. That's impressive. But they're technocrats. And by that means they feel that if you have the proper grooming, aristocratic education, you know, that they're our version of what David Halberson called the best and the brightest, sort of a Robert McNamara type of person, whiz kid. They're not really committed to any anything emotionally other than the glory of France. Do you remember Villapon? He was a good example of an aristocratic technocrat. And so their argument is that we're going to be predictable and we're going to know how to balance ourselves within. And what's their main, a French aristocrat diplomat, what's their main task for the last 200 years? It's how to make sure that France has a voice, the predominant voice in Europe, when Germany does, because of the German size of the German economy, what's given France a lot of advantage recently was the disastrous regnum of Angela or Angela Merkel, because she systematically destroyed the German energy sector, and she systematically cozied up to Russia, and she systematically undermined NATO by not not just not meeting the two percent target for percentage of the budget for military investments, but she urged and jawboned others not to make it as well. And she made acceptable a new really anti-Americanism in Germany that's now institutionalized. And that fact gave Macron, who followed Sarkozy, kind of in the same vein, that gave them an opening to be more pro-American, to be more reasonable, and France has, you know, all this nuclear power, and that's really helped France. And the fact, the elephant in the room that France is nuclear and Germany's not. But he's sort of a Trudeau figure with brains, you know what I mean? He's a young, charismatic guy, but he has a brain, unlike Trudeau, who's just a fop. And so there's where he is. And then he's Le Pen family. They got smart. So they the problem with French conservatism, the same as German conservatism, the same as British conservatism. It's a very funny conservatism in the continent that we don't have. Our conservatism is issue driven and it's kind of they think quirky issues that are important to conservatives in the United States. They don't exist in Europe or if they do exist, they're on the side of the left. I just give examples of two or three. One is abortion except for some French Catholics and British Church of England, there's not very many people in Britain, uh, France, or even in the entire continent have any problem with abortion, unlike us in the United States who feel that it's, you know, it's, it's a sinful death 
of a human being. And they don't believe that. They don't have anything comparable to the Second Amendment. They don't believe that we all have an inherent right to bear arms. And without the Second Amendment, you have no amendments because a docile population will surrender all their rights unless the government knows when push comes to sub, there's 150, 200 million armed Americans that are going to stand up for the Constitution. And so that concept doesn't exist. They don't have on race, especially, they don't have an idea or they don't quite Britain more than the continent, but they don't quite understand the American idea of the melting pot, that the way you deal with a disparate, multi-ethnic, multiracial society is intermarriage, assimilation, integration, at least until recently. And so their conservatism is different than ours, and ours is different than that. They have a kind of a uh, Mitt Romney, aristocratic, silk-stocking view of the Republican Party. And they don't have a populist, that, except for the Le Pens, they don't have a populist idea. And so when you go to France and you look at those homes on the Mediterranean, southern Mediterranean, my God, they're all inherited over generations, over generations, over generations. And you go to Europe, you go to Germany, you go to Belgium, you go to Netherlands, you go to northern, wherever you go, they ask you, what do your parents do? Do you have land? Where did you go to college? Where did your parents go to college? That's different than America. And so in some ways, uh, their conservative party is sort of like Bill Clinton's. It's pretty much where Bill Clinton's Democratic Party was. But I I can make the argument that Bill Clinton's Democratic Party was a little bit more conservative than continental conservative. And when they are conservative, they have a weird kind of, let's be honest about it. I don't want to use the word xenophobia, but they're, they're not on the same page as we are on race. I don't see an African-American from Haiti or from any of the Singal or any immigrant ever being a president of France. I don't see anybody in Germany, a Kurd or Turk, Turkish German person being chancellor of Germany. It's just not going to happen. The same thing is true in Italy and Spain. So it's a little different than our conservative movement, but right. it would be good. What the Le Pen family has done, the youngest daughter of this sire, and then I think, it is it her niece? Her niece, I think, the youngest one, is they've mainstreamed that what was a exclusionary, hard right, racist, with a great deal of anti-Semitism originally, and they're bringing it into the mainstream of populist right thought in France without the baggage that the father had. Victor, I knew you were excited when I said we were going to talk about the French and you thought we were going to talk about David French, but instead we talked about the real French. All right. Anyway, thanks for that. Let's move to the other side. Well, almost the other side of the world. That would be California, where you live. And Victor, Los Angeles has banned official travel to Florida over the quote unquote anti-grooming law. It's This is crazy rhetoric. We've seen this kind of stuff before, blue states prohibiting travel to red states. Of course, there's no trouble with blue state travel to red China, where you know, the Uyghurs are being 
oppressed and any number of other nations that are doing any number of other hellacious things to people. Any thought before we go to the border and talk about that? Any thought about what Los Angeles County and its woke bureaucrats have done recently? Well, you know, it's it's in the larger context of Los Angeles County and in the environs. That was, remember, we're talking about what was, when I grew up, the conservative part of California. That was where the Los Angeles Times was the the conservative paper, and Mayor Yorty was the conservative Democrat. And that was the ground zero of the Oklahoma diaspora between Bakersfield, let's say, and San Bernardino, where poor whites came in droves in the 1930s and 40s. So it was always the conservative. And now it's just, it's indistinguishable ideologically. Part of it's immigration. It's the second largest city of Spanish speakers in the world, I think. Mexicans, Americans, it's half the population. And this Gascon, this district attorney, has, he's basically assumed the powers of the legislature and the executive and the judiciary in the sense he decides what laws exist and what they don't. He decides, he throws out sentencing guidelines. He decides as judge what they're going to ask a judge for. If in a, and he decides who will be, I mean, in theory, all prosecutors do that, but never in the way that, that he's done it. And he was run out of San Francisco, and I think he'll be run out of Los Angeles. And then you have, not too far away in Palm Springs, you have this, they floated this trial balloon of giving everybody who was transgendered a check from the government. And so you go into Los Angeles now and it makes you want to weep. I've been there three or four times in the last year, and I've got to go, I think, three times in the next month. It's like going to San Francisco. I get anxious. I get over the grapevine. I come down there. I used to know the city pretty well. Downtown was clean. It was kind of built, you know, in the 60s and 70s as a city that worked as opposed to the hippie kingdom in San Francisco. But now it's go downtown Los Angeles. It's, it's crazy. And the drivers are crazy and the road construction is crazy. And it's not a functional society now, especially if you go into LAX or out of LAX. It's, it's just everything about it is the way it's governed. Garcetti has been a complete disaster. It's kind of like India or Brazil. It's a multiracial, multiethnic democracy in the sense it doesn't really have constitutional guidelines. People just vote whatever they want for. And if there's a law in the way, they just ignore it. It's a lawless place. And when you add certain things to it, culturally, that's you put all of those Hollywood actors there. You put the television people there. You put the Los Angeles Lakers there. And you put these universities there, Caltech, UCLA, USC, UC Irvine, a number of other private schools. It's just a very volatile left-wing place now. Better avoid it. Well, Victor, a lot of people are not avoiding the southern border, and we've talked about that before, but there's a couple of new developments. So uh, let's talk about what's happening with Title 42 and the response of Texas Governor Abbott. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's kind of cool and funny, right? But we'll do that right after these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. 
Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hansen Show. A couple of notes first. I would encourage anyone who's interested in strengthening civil society, and that's what that's my job. That's what I do when I'm not podcasting with Victor. I'm I run the Center for Civil Society. We have a website, centerforcivilsociety.com. Check it out. I also write a weekly email newsletter called Civil Thoughts. It's free, 12 or so recommended readings of worthwhile things you find about conservatism, philosophy, thought, etc. inspirational stuff for the for the gray matter. You can sign up for that at civilthoughts.com, victorhanson.com though. That's the place you really need to go. Everything Victor writes, practically every appearance he makes, a podcast appearance, he appears on other radio shows, other podcasts. You'll find links to them there. And Victor writes original material exclusive to that website. To read it, you need to subscribe $5 a month, $50 for the full year. Do that. VictorHanson.com. Might as well at this point give a little hat tip to some of our friends out there. The Victor Davis Hanson fan club is on Facebook. Check it out. And uh, you'll find Victor on Facebook, VictorHanson.com. VDH's Morning Cup. What else is there? Well, if you're on Twitter, at vdhanson.com. So Victor, a couple of things about the, we talked on our, one of the recent episodes of the Victor Davis Hanson show about Joe Biden planning or the Biden administration, the end of May to kibosh, quote unquote, title 42. This is a Trump administration regulation that was to return 
uh, illegal aliens, send them back home. Biden is planning to kibosh that. Now, a number of Democrat members of Congress, a couple of senators, even a couple of members of the House are saying this is nuts or hold off or let's rethink, rethink this. And Governor Abbott of Texas has said, well, you know what he's going to do? He's going to put these people on a bus and he's going to send the buses to Washington, D.C. And I think some buses have actually been sent. So, Victor, you know, we've talked a lot about what this means, this, this, the immigration problem we have, how removing Title 42 is just going to be a green light for even more massive illegal immigration. So any other thoughts you have on that, but also, if you will, the political thoughts, because this has got to be, anyone with eyes has to see this is going to be incredibly politically damaging for the Democrats. But I get the sense that Joe Biden's view on things is too bad, full speed ahead. He did that in Afghanistan, a colossal disgraceful withdrawal. And he didn't give a rat's patoot about it. too bad. This is the way we're doing it. Yeah. So there's it's, a recklessness there. Just Well, there's there. recklessness on everything. He printed money when the likes of Larry Summers even said, you're facing a natural pent up demand. As the lockdowns wane, people have hoarded cash from the government, funny money, and you're running big deficits and you have a huge debt and you have de facto zero interest rates, and you've got supply disruptions, and you've got a classic case of so much potential money chasing so few goods, you don't have to borrow another two or $3 trillion. And he did it. And now we're looking at 8% annualized inflation, and that's gonna be, that's gonna climb. And it doesn't reflect, this, as I said earlier, the stuff of life. Same thing with energy. He did not have to cut 2 million barrels of oil. He did not have to take Anwar. He did not have to cut Keystone. He didn't have to tell the Israelis and the Greeks and Cypriots, we don't want your East Mediterranean helping out Europe. So I guess what you're saying is there has to be three choices that explains this. A, is Joe Biden cruel when he gets diesel up to $7? He just shrugs. I don't give a damn about truckers. I don't care if they pull in with a 100-gallon tank and they pay up 700 if they have a 200-gallon tank. I could care less. That's their problem, not mine. I got to go back and swim in my Delaware mansion, thanks to Hunter. Is that what he thinks? Or is he, as we said, demented, senile, and somebody says, you know, hey, Joe, we you can have a 20th anniversary of 9-11 by pulling out of Afghanistan. We'll get the last troop out on September 11th. Oh, okay, whatever you want to do. And I don't know where Afghanistan is. Is that what it is? He's just senile? Or there's a third choice, and that is what Robert Gates said. He's just a total incompetent. He doesn't know how to stop it. Mallorcas calls him out. He talks with Buttigieg, the transportation. They get together and they say the squad wants an open border. They want to get in two or three million people before the midterms. You know, there's 750,000 in a congressional district, roughly. That's the equivalent of seven or eight congressional districts. That's what we want. So just open the borders and okay. And then no one says, but wait a minute. But wait a minute. What happens when these people come in the millions and you have beds, it's COVID. Are you going to test them? Are you going to turn them back if they test balls? Are you going to vaccinate them? And mech- what are you going to do with them? 
Nobody asked us. It's kind of like going in and taking out Saddam and nobody said, well, what happens 60 days later when you don't have a government? And so it's either that he's senile, he's a cruel person and he wants to hurt people, or he's a total incompetent. And I don't have the answer for that, but it's pretty disturbing on the border. And this idea of busing people, they're busing them to the wrong places. People in Washington don't care. The people who would care, because people leave for the weekend, it's not their city that people are making these policies. They just are there at work. They should send them to Malibu, just to have a big shelter in Malibu right next to Barbara Streisand and just send them there. They should send them to Greenwich, Connecticut, Jack, not too far from you. Just send them in there. And then they should send them to Presidio Heights, Woodside, California. But the best place they should send them is they should get all of these university presidents that are so vocal on so many issues. And they're such megaphones for social change and the undocumented among their students. So here's what they should do. They should get a big conference and get 50 college presidents. And here's what Biden and Mayorkas say. You've got 50, 60, 80,000, maybe 100,000, maybe 2 million. I don't know how many empty dorms they have this summer, but you've got a lot of empty dorms. You've got law schools on your campus for legal aid. You've got medical schools that could offer medical help. You've got educational facilities that could teach people English and tutor them. And best of all, you've got still thousands of people around in the summer. These are highly progressive, highly idealistic, young 18, 19-year-olds that want purpose in their life and they want to help. So we suggest that as we let in a million and a half, they will be staying at Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, Yale for the summer. How's that? And see what happens. The other thing is, there is no immigration law. It just disappeared. And that's important. I think everybody listened. That would be as if Donald Trump said the following. I'm president. There is no such thing as the Endangered Species Act. It does not exist. And I'm telling everybody, if you're building anywhere, you want to build a road, you want to build a bridge, you want to build a high rise, you want to open a mine, you want to, and there's an endangered species, go right ahead. We're not enforcing that law. Just go right ahead. Or it would be as if you said, there are no more climate change, green, federal EPA mandates. We just got rid of them. Just do what you want. That's what Biden is doing. He just destroyed federal immigration. Can you imagine the outrage that would happen? He would be impeached for that a third time. So since the Democrats bequeathed this, this new, remember, Jack, they gave us a whole new group of protocols that they passed down to us. And they basically said, when we're in control, we change the system because we're always going to be in control. But they're not going to be in control after the midterms, at least not in the House and probably not the Senate. So the Republicans can say thank you. So the new rule is that when your guy is president and he loses any guy's president, woman, loses the first midterms, the opposing party takes over, they impeach him. So they should file writs of impeachment against Joe Biden for deliberately, consciously, without hesitation, destroying federal immigration law, did not keep his oath of faithfully executing the law immediately. And who knows, they may get a big group in the Senate. Then they could say, you know what, you guys, we tried to say it's a bad idea to eliminate the filibuster. You tried and tried and tried. I think you were right. We're going to eliminate it. 
And you know what, Nancy, you gave us a good idea. You always tear up the State of the Union address when you don't like the president. And that was really good. So next time Joe Biden gets in his first State of the Union address, that'll be next year. Kevin McCarthy is sitting you know, right behind him, and he starts lying as he will. Then he hands, ritually hands the dress. Kevin just tears it up, just like Nancy did. I can go on, Jack, but you get the drift. They created an asymmetrical set of protocols that are destructive to the Constitution, and they had a caveat that we're so morally superior, they only apply to us, but we would never want the opposition to do this. But we don't have to worry they'll do it because they're never going to come back to power. That's how they think. So, yeah, Joe Biden should be impeached for not patrolling, securing, following immigration law at the border. It's a wide open mess. Everybody, if you look at one issue, it, it, it consistently polls about 60 to 65 percent of people are opposed to what he's doing. And the only irony of this is that when you poll Mexican-Americans, and I'm not even talking about Cuban-Americans or Venezuelan-Americans, but the majority of Spanish speakers are Mexican from Mexico. They poll about 60-40. They want a secure border, which raises the question. If in the midterms, exit polls or post-election polls suggest that 55% of the Hispanic population voted against Democratic candidates, what then? Are they going to have a uh, secret White House summit? And they're all going to go in there and say, oh, my God, we're importing Reaganites. We got to stop this. And then somebody will say, well, we stopped the Cubans when they wanted to come in a couple of months ago. We stopped that. We don't want any more Venezuelans because we're trying to bring in poor non-English speakers that grew up in socialist countries that are inured to communism and don't have a problem with it. And they're going to be in enclaves that we control, and they're going to be good, loyal constituents that will pay with votes for all the stuff we give them for free. But if they're ingrates, and within a generation or two, they're right wing, let's control that border. We don't want them. We'll have to find somebody else to import. That's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, Victor, sometime... And on this episode, we should speculate about further. We've talked in the past about Hispanic vote, but geez, I wonder if there was a Hispanic Republican on the ticket in 2024, how that might might break the back of the Democratic Party. Let's marshal some info before we do that in another episode. We've got a couple more subjects to talk about. Victor, one of them is Elon Musk, the world's richest man, buying a significant hunk of Twitter and changing the dynamics of that social media platform. But before we do, I'm throwing a fastball here. I just realized that one of the other things you do at Hoover Institution is you are the essentially the editor-in-chief of Strategica, an important online journal. So the new issue came out the other day. It's issue 78. It's titled Ripples of Ukraine, and it has pieces by Peter Mansour, our friend Bing West, I love Bing, and Barry Strauss. So I just wanted to alert people to that, our listeners to that. You should visit Hoover, and Strategica is S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A, Strategica, and check out those articles. Victor, if you have anything quick you want to say about that new issue, go ahead, and, and then we'll go move on to Musk. Well, we're, we're trying to deal. We had a meeting on Friday, our annual meeting of the Military History Working Group, 
say chair, and we're trying to get people to craft a deterrent strategy, and that would be a strategy how to deter a China going into Taiwan, an Iran getting the bomb and attacking Israel or Saudi Arabia, a Russia gobbling up Ukraine or threatening Lithuania without igniting a larger war. And one of the things that came up in the meeting is that we didn't talk about nuclear weapons, Jack, only in rare occasions this country had. We, we talked about them during the Persian Missile Crisis of the early Reagan administration, where suddenly Hollywood said that Reagan was going to doom us. And, and we had a little bit during the, earlier during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I can remember you know the local Boy Scout master coming out and walking around our farm and telling us, you know, you've got these 24-inch uh, concrete pipes under the ground from, you know, the irrigation district. You got a 30, this is where your family, you need to take one of those pipes out in your vineyard and dig it onto your home. <laughs> and then when the big one comes, you got all you Hanskins could get your trap door and crawl into this uh, mucky, filthy irrigation pipe and you can live there with your rations that he was going to sell us. So that stuff happens. But now, all because of what Putin has said and the fact that Russia is a nuclear power, it's nuke talk 24-7. Nuke, 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 nuke. So we discuss all that. What is the strategy of the use of nuclear weapons? And everybody, yeah, on Friday, I can't disclose the names or what was said because it's a, a group of about 50 people. But I can tell you that a lot of people were very pessimistic about proliferation. And if you think about what happens when you give up your nukes, Ukraine gave up their nukes at about 2,000 of them. Look where they are now. Libya gave up its nukes. Look what it is now. What if Saddam had invaded Kuwait when it had a nuke, if it just waited? What would have been the reaction of the West? And Iran knows that. So countries that give up their nuclear weapons programs, they don't fare well. And so everybody thinks that these rogue actors are going to get nukes or North Korea might use. But what they're really pushing and they don't understand it, if the United States cannot guarantee to our non-NATO allies in Asia and I'm speaking specifically of Australia, Taiwan, South Korea, and Japan, maybe or maybe not the Philippines, that they are not being protected by the United States in an ambiguous fashion, admittedly, but some type of umbrella, then those countries, if what they're watching Russia do, they will go nuclear, and especially anticipation of an invasion of Taiwan. So I think this issue is not going to go away, this idea of nuclear weapons. And we have gone over a threshold where before we didn't get near the topic because we thought it was synonymous with Armageddon. And now when I look at the, the nuke talk, you start to see this very scary conversation. Well, maybe they could have three nukes or maybe they would take out Kiev or but they talk about nukes as if you have a limited nuclear war, or people have argued that he might use a tactical nuclear weapon. But when you lower that threshold and you talk about taking out a city, I mean, it's pretty scary. So right. the latest issue discusses deterrence and nuclear weapons and, and how the conversation has shifted. Well, that's uh, Strategica at Hoover's website. So Hoover.org. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. And many of the past issues are well worth your reading. So Quick or not, it's important, obviously, is the news that Elon Musk has purchased, I think, 9% of 
of Twitter and huge kerfuffle plans on, well, who knows what his plans, the plans, it came as heartening news, I think, to people on the right, people who are upset with the cherry picking of disinformation, the suppressing of certain voices. Look, Donald Trump is not allowed to tweet, right? Would that have happened if Elon Musk was the majority, not the majority, but the major shareholder in Twitter? So two things, Victor. One personal note, I'm just curious if you know Musk or have ever crossed I don't. paths. No? Okay. No, I, I know a lot of the people, I've met them in Silicon Valley that tend to be more conservative. And there are some there, but right. I haven't I haven't missed this. I guess he's famous at Stanford for dropping out. I think, was it two days he enrolled when he was a student? <laughs> <laughs> he, he came in there for two days and quit. Everybody who quits Harvard or Stanford does pretty well. Yeah, it seems that. Any thoughts about what he's done? Yeah, he has a very brilliant, his modus operandi or his strategic thinking, and it carries over to his businesses, is he goes into things that are left-wing bastions and he excels at them, but he gives the aura that he's not, a hardcore leftist. And then he kind of leaves that ambiguity up to the left. So he goes into the automobile industry when everybody was saying we need batteries and nobody did. I mean, all the big car makers cannot do what he did at Tesla. And so all of a sudden the left gets, wow, this guy's got, they all drive Teslas. I was in Menlo Park the last couple of times. Every time you drive down, it's a Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. And it's all driven by very, 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 very wealthy mostly progressives, and yet they're driving Teslas from Elon Musk's genius. And he got out of California because it was so highly regulated, and he's in Texas. So they don't know what to make of him. Hmm. We love his car. He did what no other leftist could do. He gave us a non-polluting car, so to speak. That's another story. And the same thing about space travel, and now the same thing about social media. Yes, he's He's a techie, but he's kind of a Peter Till, but he's got more money. And so they don't know how to deal with him. And uh, they know that he's very talented. He's very adventurous. And he does things that in the abstract they like. They like what he's doing in Ukraine with his space link internet that's futuristic and allowing the Ukrainians to be immune from Russian cutoffs. But they don't like him for some reason because... He's a maverick, and you never know what he's going to say or do. He does believe in free speech. And of course, right. that's, that's the hallmark of the new left. If you ask, what is the new left about? What is AOC about? What is Bernie about? What is Elizabeth Warren about? What are the Obamas about? What are the university leftists about? What's Planned Parenthood about? What's the teachers union about? What are the movie starlets about? There's one thing they're all about. They do not believe in free expression and free speech. They call free speech hate speech, and they want masters of the universe, i.e. spiritually and intellectually and educationally as talented as they think they are, to be platonic guardians to adjudicate who gets to weigh in. Okay, so this guy doesn't believe that, so they hate his guts. You know, it's going to be very interesting what he's doing Jack, because think about it for a second. Twitter colluded with Google and Apple probably, I mean, this is allegedly, and destroyed Parler, which didn't have an app and, and couldn't take advantage of all of the goodwill people who wanted to gravitate there right after Trump was deplatformed. So when 
people who are sympathetic to Musk or his enemies, either one, float the idea either in happiness or terror that Trump would be allowed to go back on Twitter, that would probably really raise the profits at Twitter. But it would also, it's antithetical to what Trump's doing with the Devin Nunes Truth Project. Why would Trump go back on Twitter when he's making an alternate universe to Twitter? So, and he does things like that. He sets up these paradoxes and no one knows quite what he's doing, but they all fear that on the back end of it, he's going to be more successful than a Jeff Bezos. And so they, they hate him. They kind of go there. The left goes, what is this guy doing? Right. Battery's good, but he's, he says things that are bad, but now he's in Twitter and he wants free speech. That will embarrass us when we have to say there'd be no free speech right. and, and space good maybe, but space link internet he's he's with us but so i think he enjoys being a disruptor and a contrarian and an enigmatic mystic type of guy right well we'll take that given the alternatives victor we have one other major topic to discuss on today's episode again we're recording on palm sunday april 10th and we expect that this episode is being aired on holy thursday april 14th well that issue will be an acquittal in one of the first January 6th cases. And we will get to that right after these important messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, little notes I've scribbled down here. My former colleague and good friend Andy McCarthy had a great rundown of this at National Review the other day. A gentleman from uh, Tucson, I believe, Matthew Martin, also I believe has worked for a government contractor, upset about the elections, went to Washington on January 6th, was at the Capitol, and was waved in by Capitol Police into the Capitol building through some series of, I think, even like essentially snitches. He was found out. He turned himself in, but he was not going to take a plea deal. And he had a trial. It was heard before a federal judge, not for a jury. And he was acquitted. 
And the government's case was, according to you know, Andy's assessment, but many others' assessment, was absurd, <laughs> as are many things about what is happening here. It's, it's a year, how many, 15 months, 16 months since this happened, uh, preposterous charges, lack of sharing, probably exonerating evidence of what happened that day, involvement of the FBI and others. Uh, anyway, Victor, this acquittal is it's one man, one case, but it may be symbolic of other things. What, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think everybody's looking at January 6th in a completely different fashion. And the latest two acquittals and two hung juries in the so-called Michigan governor kidnapping case adds impetus to that. And that was those acquittals and those hung juries were because of government, not just government's use of FBI informants to promote that crazy harebrained scheme, but the government's denial of it and hiding it. So let's just discuss it this way, Jack. If January 6th was a coup, was a conspiracy, was a plot, an insurrection rather than a buffoonish, spontaneous riot, why wouldn't we do the following to find out that if it was the most serious moment in our history as Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, and the left are trying to use it? And believe me, it's not dead, everybody. They don't have anything going into this midterm. So when, they, when this midterm heats up in August, September, and October, you're going to hear coup, insurrection, January 6th, January 6th, January 6th, racist, 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 ad nauseum. Trump, Trump, Trump. That's what they have. Nothing else. But if they're right that January 6th was a planned conspiracy, why don't they do the following? Why don't they say there's reportedly 14,000 hours of video from hundreds of cameras? Here it is. It'll prove that there is a conspiracy. And there are rumors there were dozens of FBI agents everywhere egging people on or giving. And here are the names of the FBI informants or agents that were there, you check them out and you'll see that there was almost none there. Or they'll say, there's all this conspiracy stuff about Officer Sicknick. Here's Officer Sicknick's tragic death. And here's what we said at the beginning. And you can see at the very beginning, we never said he was killed by a Trump supporter. And then they could say, here's Ashley Babbitt. And yes, she was lethally shot by a law enforcement officer for the, what, misdemeanor of going through a broken window. But because this was a conspiracy, and we know it was, and we want all the information out, here is the officer who did it. Here is his name, just like with George Floyd or any other officer who lethally shoots an unarmed suspect. And here is the investigation when we brought him into a room and we asked him the question. And here's the transcript. And then they could say, Okay, and to show you that it is a conspiracy and a coup, we had a January 6th committee, and we had our guys as a majority, and Kevin McCarthy, they had their guys, and they found, and they adjudicated, and they found this out, but they didn't do that, any of that. They suppressed the name of the officer. They issued lies and lies and lies that Officer Sicknick was killed violently by a Trump supporter. They won't release the videos. They will not release the email communications between the Capitol Police and the Nancy Pelosi leadership about methods to prevent a riot. 
they still don't tell us why it was a mortal sin for Trump to suggest that they use federal troops during the rioting, which they burned down a historic church in Washington. I shouldn't say down, but they ignited it. They torched a precinct and attacked a federal courthouse with fire in Portland, I think in Minneapolis. And guess what? There was no investigation of any of that. And so they don't tell us any of this. And you think if it was a coup, they would be happy to and they would be delighted and they would not tell Kevin McCarthy, we're not putting those Republicans that you selected. I know that's a House rule that each ranking majority minority member of the parties pick the people that go on these committees, but we're not going to do it. They wouldn't have done that. They would have said, bring your best guys in. You do your best. We'll do our worst. We'll find out what's the truth. So from get-go, they have suppressed knowledge. We don't know why they, they militarized the Capitol after this incident. We do not know to this day how many FBI agents were there. We don't know what they said. We don't know why these people sat in solitary confinement and were not charged. We do not know why we didn't get any information about the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt or why he was not apparently directly interrogated by a higher up, maybe an FBI agent or a Capitol policeman. And then we don't know these other things. If all of what they say is true, why do they not believe it, Jack? And I'm speaking in reference to Matthew Rosenberg, the I think he was a Pulitzer Prize New York Times reporter. And on the anniversary of January 6th, a few months ago, he wrote a big piece, co-authored, I think it was, with Jim Rutenberg. Remember Jim Rutenberg? He was the one that said, you don't have to be a disinterested reporter anymore. Trump is such an evil person. Your reporting can be directed at Trump rather than keep an open mind. That's basically what he argued, Jorge Ramos' argument. So anyway, he had written a big essay and said, on the anniversary of January 6th, don't believe the right wing that it was just spontaneous, that there was no conspiracy, and it was just, okay, fine. And then what does he do? He meets a younger woman, an Operation Veritas plant, and he pours out his egomaniac, narcissistic guts to her. And what does he say? Oh, my little... My little colleagues at the New York Times, they're so sheltered. They made this into a big psychodrama. I walked all around the Capitol. It was a celebrity, celebratory occasion. It was fun. There was nobody in danger. All these uh, you know, little snowflakes were holding you know, their pearls, but there was nothing there. And he said, I knew all the FBI <laughs> informants. They were everywhere. This is, it was a joke. And so he was basically saying off guard, everything I've written is a lie, a lie. And so after these verdicts in these two cases, I just don't think it's going to work for the Democrats in November to keep saying that these insurrectionary, white, alt-right, racist coup plotters tried to kidnap the governor of Michigan, and they tried to take over the Capitol and have a coup. It's not going to work. And I think what we're looking at is a Republican takeover of the House and Senate. And mark my words, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. There will be a real January 6th committee, and it will investigate all of the correspondence between the Pelosi government and the Capitol Police. It will release all the videos it can. It will get Christopher Ray up there under oath and ask him how many 
maybe in closed session, how many FBI operatives were there. We want a list of them. And I think it's going to be devastating. If they really wanted to be mean, Jack, Speaker McCarthy would say to the Democrats, the following Democrats can serve on this committee. And they would get two Trump, quasi-Trumps. Nobody else can serve on it because you're too biased. And by the way, because we've also started a precedent that you can remove somebody, I think it was, um, was it Marjorie Taylor Greene? They took off a committee. Yes. We're, we're going to start taking people off a committee too. I know that we've never done that in the House and it's against our illustrious 200, I don't know, 32 year history, but Adam Schiff is not going to be on that House Intelligence Committee. He leaks too much and that would really shake them up to be treated the way they treated other people. This is kind of special to me because after this all was over, you know, I was a big critic of going into the Capitol and desecrating it. And they did desecrate it. Some people, a handful, putting their feet up there, taking things that didn't belong to them. And I know the police were sort of lackadaisical and I didn't like this buffoonish riot. But this group of misfits, somehow that these were, I mean, they didn't come the way Antifa comes to a demonstration with helmets on, knee pads, dressed in black with clubs and shields. Right. right. They didn't. Brick, right. Stor- yeah. Brick stored around yeah. the corner. They did not. Uh, so, it was yeah. a spontaneous bunch of sort of guys like me that are over the hill white guys. You know what I mean? Most of them, not all of them, but most of them that were not, you know, young zealots. Okay. And for them to fabricate this entire thing into a a coup construct, it was a big, big mistake. And they're going to pay for that because I think when the truth comes out, they're going to be sorely embarrassed to the degree that they suppressed information about law enforcement, about intelligence. When you have a reporter from the New York Times who was assigned to this case, And that was his domain for the last year. He wrote several articles about it. And he gets caught in an off moment bragging to a young woman that it was nothing but kind of a a holiday gone bad. Then, again, there's no there there. And I'm very sensitive about this because when this all happened, I kind of said that. I never said that it was okay, but there were a number of things that I had to answer for to the Stanford Faculty Senate as did Scott Atlas for no reason, as did Neil Ferguson for no reason, as for me for no reason. And one of them was, if you said what I just said, that there are inconsistencies in the official narrative about January 6th, and that it was not a coup attempt, nor was it a conspiracy, nor was it an insurrection, but it was a buffoonish, regrettable, deplorable riot we should all condemn. But by the same token, the FBI, the Capitol Police, the Biden administration and the Pelosi Congress have not been transparent and open to get the facts out. All we want are the facts. And if there's a second round of this and you put everybody there and they find out it was a conspiracy, I'll be the first to say it. If they get taped back thousands of hours of video that show all of these guys sitting out there with maps and arrows and they have certain secret little signals to each other or patches or they find a grand plan 
that after they took the capital, they were going to set up a radio station, any of that nutty stuff. I'll be happy to say it. If they show me a long transcript where a series of FBI investigators or DOJ people came in and talked to the officer in question that shot Ashley Babbitt and he answered question in a direct testimony, I'll be the first to admit it. But I don't think that's going to happen. Something weird about this. Why would they put these people in solitary confinement? Why would they put them in indeterminate detention without being charged for months and why would federal judges allow that to happen too? How, it's, it's how a, they would it's, do? It's, yeah, exposes the, the some of the the real troubles in our judiciary. Victor, we just have a few minutes left, so I just want to let folks know because they know this already. We're again, we're recording on Sunday, and the results of the French election, which we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, are in. There will be a runoff. There were twelve candidates, and right now. Some of the exit polling shows Macron with 28.5% and Le Pen with 23.6%. So there'll be, um, looks like, you know, the two of them will be facing off against each other in a few weeks. So that's that. We can talk about that uh, more on another podcast. At this point, we typically share some of the messages our listeners leave on iTunes. We encourage those who do listen to the show through iTunes to please consider rating the podcast. You can give up to five stars. Victor deserves 10, five's the limit. So please go ahead and, and give that many. If you'd like to leave a message, comment, do it. We read them. And those comments can include questions if you want that we will bring up on some of the shows we're going to be recording in the next couple of weeks for when Victor goes away for a couple of weeks. But we want to have some programs nevertheless. So those programs will be your questions that you would like Victor answered. So all that said, here are two comments that were left last week. One is from it's signed MT109, Excellence in Providing Knowledge is the headline. Here's what MT109 says, I always enjoy listening to Victor telling me his view or providing facts on the matter. I would like to hear him speak on if or why the GOP has abandoned California. It's been a one-party state since Pete Wilson. I do not see any serious effort by the GOP to try and win state or federal elections, but they sure put their hand out for money every election cycle, end quote. Well, thanks for the kind words at the beginning. And Victor, we can talk about, we can talk about that at another time, what the GOP's attitude towards California. The other comment is signed by MPSRT. It's titled, My Only Complaint. And no, Victor, it's not about you. Quote, I absolutely look forward to hearing this podcast all week long. I really believe that Professor Hansen is one of the greatest conservative minds of our time. His ability to link and compare today's events to historical events is both informative and entertaining. My sole complaint is that both hosts have a bad habit of trying to limit his discussions. Yes, I, I've been telling you and Sammy exactly that. I'm a voice in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, well, uh, it's a, uh, okay. Let me finish this due to time. Frankly, if this podcast was twice as long, it would still be far too short in my book. If you're a conservative, this podcast is definitely one you will enjoy. So MPSRT, you know, yeah, I, I agree. 
actually the folks that oversee this podcast, its home is at justthenews.com. When we first started talking about that, they were like, this, this should be 35 to 40 minutes. And we clearly pushed the envelope. I'm pretty sure that this podcast we recorded right now, Victor, is over an hour already. Yeah, I don't but- think people want to hear me anymore, Jack. You found that out when you pushed my button unexpectedly and mentioned the word CNN. Oh, and so- I went out on a 10-minute rant of everything my enfeebled demented brain could recall about cnn and all of their scandals and personalities well it's i I would do that all the time i get into these frenzies unless i you and uh, sammy put a bridle in my mouth i think people like like your frenzies uh victor Uh, frenzio ergo sum i think uh (laughs) so anyway MPSRT. Hey, we've got our actual limits, but thanks for listening. Thanks for your kind words about the podcast. Again, we're in the top 10. Thanks to our people that have been with us for now approaching two years on various platforms. To the new listeners, we appreciate it. Come, stay, listen, and let your friends know about this. Visit victorhanson.com, sign up. You will not regret it. You will regret not having done so already. Victor, thanks very much for this to our listeners who are of the Old Testament, if I may personally wish them Passover greetings. And to my brothers and sisters of the Christian tradition, I don't think Orthodox celebrate Easter the same week this year as Roman Catholics and most Protestants, but it will be Easter in a few days after this podcast is recorded. So happy Easter to all. Thanks, Victor. And we'll be talking to you again on the next episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank everybody for listening and happy Easter for everybody. Hey there, it's Amanda Head and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.